Welcome to Igniting the Fire Within, a limited series podcast presented by Wildfire Magazine and The Burn Podcast. I'm one of your hosts, Emily Purcell. Each week for the next year, you'll hear an essay from our book read by the author. Igniting the Fire Within is a collection of stories of healing, hope, and humor, offering an insider's view into today's young breast cancer community. We compiled 50 essays from people diagnosed in their 20s, 30s, and 40s. There's medicine for each of us in these stories, whether you've been personally diagnosed with cancer or not. Wildfire stories in general, but especially the ones you'll hear from Igniting the Fire Within, are stories of transformation. Our storytellers experienced a shift in perspective as a result of something that happened to them. And the cancer diagnosis was not the thing that happened, or it wasn't the only thing. The cancer diagnosis was merely the catalyst for later changes that led our writers to understand the deep truths about the world. Each one of them learned lessons that showed them what it is to live, not just survive, in the glare of cancer. We believe deeply that the stories that change us aren't so much about what happened as they are about what came next. And hearing those stories, true stories of transformation, that's what ignites the fire within each of us. A listener note before we dive in, cancer is a salty business. Sometimes talking about it and the aftermath requires salty language. Listener discretion is advised. Today's storyteller is Vanessa D'Souza. Vanessa is a pediatric physiotherapist. At 44, she was diagnosed with ERPR positive stage 1B and 1C DCIS. Here is Vanessa D'Souza reading her essay titled Bindies and Bangles, Onions and Shamectomies. Who would have guessed that the only option for the COVID-19 era surgery date for my bilateral mastectomy with tram flap transfer would fall on my 45th birthday? Karma? Divine influence? I still don't know. I'm still shedding all the onion-like layers the last year and previous years have presented to me. However, I do know this. The divine was present in every step and every decision I, my family, my community, and medical team were a part of. My family asked my surgical team to pause for a moment of silence at 1351 hours, the minute of my recorded birth during this 14-hour surgery. And they did, offering good thoughts to this person laying before them. What could be more auspicious? This divinity, also called intuition, my guiding light, gut instinct, my knowingness, has been with me from a very young age. I have a doctrined Roman Catholic upbringing, most likely the daily ritual of reciting Mother Mary's rosary prayer with the family fine-tuned my Star Trek TNG's Deanna Troy's empathicness. In South Indian and Asian culture, this kind of intuition is honored as the third eye, also known as the Anja Chakra or Bindi. Hindu tradition believes that all people have an invisible third inner eye between the eyebrows. The belief is that the two physical eyes are used for seeing the external world, while the third focus inwards towards God. My late Nana was a devout Catholic. The intuition and knowingness she had was likely inherited 
from before our Portuguese colonial empire era. She and my mother did not wear bindis. In fact, upon the family's arrival to Canada in 1970, all homeland clothing and language were concealed or discarded by choice. We only look forward and not backwards, with the exception of births, weddings, deaths, and anniversary. Regardless if they were alive, ritual prayers had to be done. We must assimilate to our new culture, and no child in the next generation should enter the school system speaking a language other than English. We need to fit in and have our child of color integrate into this new world. For some of us, this caused confusion. So, do we honor our ancestors and some of our traditions, such as our curries, prayers, hearing a strange language that was only spoken by the elders but not to the children? Or are we supposed to become a stereotypical Canadian? I'm so confused. What is the strange feeling I have here? Oh yes, it's shame. So it begins. Shame at the onset of my birth. I was a tall, for her age, brown girl living within the mainly European-Italian Toronto neighborhood of Rexdale in the 70s and 80s, who was encouraged to love thy family first, yet still dismissed the language of my ancestors, traditional clothing and jewelry, and anything that wasn't considered Western-approved. There was scolding if I had too much fun in the sun on a beach holiday. You don't want to be dark. Lighter skin is far more attractive. This little girl was hyper-obedient, and shame of my culture flourished, along with embarrassment over the darker skin pigment at my joints and scars, my height and size, and my overall physical appearance. I wanted to be anything but South Asian. There was a time I referred that my family was from the Portuguese part of India, like it was a badge up from the mainland folks. Over the years, I learned insidious shame juxtaposed with deep love for family thrives in many cultures, in homes of immigrant families. My family was no exception. What would others say? What would others think? Vanessa, darling, you must keep this matter quiet because we wouldn't want the gossip or evil eye cast upon us by the community. This led to a myriad of shames, which were hid under the proverbial rug. Not meeting expectations. Not being religious enough. Not being healthy. Disappointments with not following the preconceived life plans. Yet on top of that same rug lived gossip. Gossip about the failures of others, not meeting expectations, abuses, anti-religiousness, people's health. Shame on them, they must have brought it upon themselves. Shame on them, they are cursed. No, actually, shame on us. I adhere to my parents' plan for me, somewhat to get a post-secondary education, to wear the traditional gold bangles, chudis on my wedding day, to be a working professional, have children, 
follow the church and then have and do it all while caring for aging parents and in-laws. I met them at some fronts, completing a degree with a scholarship, marrying and having children and meeting some of my professional goals. However, I started to shift in early adulthood. I started questioning my established religious teachings, marrying outside our culture and religion, craving exploration and autonomy, questioning the notion of perfection, all while holding tight to that young shame so deeply rooted within me. Who would have known that these high expectations paired with South Asian shame and perfectionism would contribute to the breakdown of my marriage. OMG, a divorce in the family? And thus began the storm of secrecy within both families and community, both locally and back home. My parents stood by my side with love and grief, but I still suffocated tremendously at the most trying time of my life with my babies aged one and four in tow. The scarlet letter was permanently imprinted at this time. Yet still, with my knowingness, I chose the difficult road less traveled by my culture, embracing the world of experts, new faith habits, and starting the seemingly impossible journey of not caring what others might say. A modern way of divorce, balancing and respecting myself and my roots. I told myself, I chose Wonder Woman motherhood by not moving back to Ontario with my parents and kept my single parenthood struggles and achievements to my inner circles, my therapist, my church community, and legal team. Yet I still faced critics, got the looks, and likely much pity from those who didn't understand or didn't want to understand this forbidden path. I was going to do it all, all on my own. I'll show them all. Yes, yes, this is shame in disguise. It took me some time to discover this was still me aiming for perfection. By tuning out the shamers and others who didn't support my journey, I felt many more onion layers fall off. And a few more, they started to fall off more easily. As they peeled away, I felt a new confidence emerge. That shifting knowingness will always happen within the gifts of trauma and upheavals. Ah, finally, I thought, a transitioning me. I thought a new butterfly emerged from the cocoon back then. Yay, I'm finally moving to the permanent version 2.0. But, wait, one day this empath came across an unusual tiny mass in one of her recently growing fibrotic premenopausal breasts, exactly 0.6 centimeters on the left. Radiology even commented on the spectacular nature of the discovery. I would have needed to lie at a particular angle and palpate a certain direction. A needle in the haystack, per the cliché. It would have not been found standing in the shower, a typical place to conduct self-exams. Divinity Part A in 2001. The plethora of appointments and tests ensued, complete with information overload, 
research, fear, decisions to be made, preparations. It was a hurricane. Yet this butterfly was there flapping as needed and found a peaceful glide during this time. The knowingness was so aligned and present. Divinity Part B and onwards did not stop there. Intuition told me that withholding the initial news from my family for about six weeks would set in motion the most delaying of this onion I've ever experienced. I didn't want their grief to cloud my decision process and felt I could share with them when I had more concrete answers. Tangible and factual information offered some, some degree of predictability, not only for them, but also for me. This disclosure suddenly made it real, finally unhinging my anguish into the world. Yes, my healthcare background gave me some medical insights, and I tended to interact with my care providers like colleagues and vice versa. I knew how to analyze the outcomes and risks, and I'm resourceful and know how to advocate. Once I obtained and organized all the information in my mind, and temporarily made peace with the fear and grief in my heart, my guiding light somehow determined my options that I eventually chose. Who would have guessed choosing an optional bilateral mastectomy would yield an additional tinier emerging mass on the preventative side as well? Who would have guessed that the immediate reconstruction would have been an option for me only during a small window during the pandemic? A few months later, all elective surgeries were postponed due to the Delta wave. Who would have guessed that after nine years of high-conflict parallel parenting, communication with my ex-husband would transform into healthy interactions while raising our two boys? Nothing like a near-death event to focus what's important, eh? Who would have guessed that a random and early self-detection with low enough oncotype scores allowed me to bypass chemotherapy and radiation. Who would have guessed that armies of 10 and 13-year-old boys and their families would show up with quilts, body pillows, cookies, dairy-free, gluten-free crockpots, and proudly write my name for the first Terry Fox walk at school after my diagnosis? And who would have guessed a health scare like this would humble aging, loving immigrant parents to their knees, virtually watching three provinces over before COVID-19 vaccinations, that their firstborn would face an unimaginable challenge with no local family support surrounding her. And predictably, like the expected drunk uncle to the family party, shame arrived as well. Don't tell anyone in the family. I allowed myself to create a community of authenticity and transparency in my networks in Calgary and beyond. Thank you, Zoom video chatting. More layers falling off, living closer to my best life. Yes, today there are still family and community members who still don't know. Will they find out? Who knows? Maybe, maybe not. Most importantly, who cares? This work-in-progress butterfly is still unlayering by speaking to her shameectomy, to her experiences as a child of immigrants in a culture where shame continues to run rampant. 
Could cancer be a result of the shame growth? Could cancer be excreting cancer? Sorry. Could shame be excreting cancer as a symptom for us to witness? I am an anomaly, as my geneticists revealed. No family genes in your profile. Maybe environmental. Definitely a fluke. Phew. And wow. And why. As I de-layer, the shame will wither and not be passed on. I own my experiences. I own my failures and accolades. I own my dark skin. I own my culture and who I am. I own how the shame bubbles up to the surface, especially in challenging times, most recently during this breast cancer detection. I suspect it won't be the last time it will creep into my universe. I do know now is the time to talk about it. I wish I had a magic solution to offer children of immigrants here. We toggle between living from the learnings of the old world, where we were taught to respect, and changing the course for ourselves and the next generation. There is such a dichotomy of values that live in the sacred space. They exist in synchrony, but not completely in harmony, at least for me. How do we change this? Do we change this? Oh yes, darling butterfly, more awareness to be had. Shame, onions, and divinity at all. I'm Emily Purcell, and you've been listening to Igniting the Fire Within, a limited series podcast by Wildfire Magazine and The Burn. Check us out at wildfirecommunity.org to order your copy of the book so you can read along each week. You'll also find our magazine and storytelling workshops there. Big thanks to our producer, Bill Smith of Shoe Production, and our production assistant, Monica Haro. Make sure you're subscribed to this podcast. If you like what you hear, tell your best friend, tell your mom, tell your oncologist. I mean, really tell everyone you know. Or head into your podcast app and leave us a starred review to help others find their way to igniting their own fire within. <laughs>